Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. So let's uh, let's welcome everybody back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm going to do my best to not do a disservice pronunciating, pronunciating your last name. So I have found yet an, another amazing heart-centered leader, fellow Canadian from Eastern Canada, one of my favorite places and spaces, Nova Scotia. And we were just chatting about the Annapolis Valley. And I almost feel like I'm in Italy when I'm there. It's such a beautiful landscape of of Canada. So Patricia Zegelar. That is, that's, I did, I did good. I did. And we did not practice. This was, this is, (laughs) we have so much in common. And I just want to give the listeners a little bit of your bio. You are one of Canada's leading experts in conflict hard conversations and human drama at work. Very excited to unpack that with you. For over three decades, you have boosted the efforts of leaders who call on your expertise to help understand what's going on with their people and help to achieve workplace well-being. As a previous disability case manager, I know we're going to have an insightful, thought-provoking conversation. So I, I would love to kind of just jump into my leadership questions and, and unpack your beautiful expertise if you're ready. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you describe yourself, I love this, as a gritty, lifelong learner, a curator of safe space, and a protector of emotions. So my first leadership question is, share with the listeners where this self-described manifesto derived from, and how did it lead you to the work that you're now doing for others? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, my whole life, you know, even if I go back to, you know, when I was a girl, I mean, I've always, I've just always been intrigued with, um, you know, what makes people tick. You know, and I, what, what particularly intrigued me is when things wouldn't go well, right, was to watch, to witness kind of how people would just um, like implode in all of that, right? And it was just always really fascinating to me, um, you know, and, and in fact, in early in my career with some of the early workshops that I would do, I, you know, I would always lead with this, you know that, um, you know, be prepared, you are about to enter into the world of understanding better why people do what they do, think what they think, and feel what they feel, right. And so for me that I have just basically followed my nose with that, uh, with that intrigue, and have found myself, um, you know, doing what I would call um, sort of my own personal work in the world, you know, kind of, you know, turning that question in on myself, like, why do I do what I do, think what I think, feel what I feel. Um, But then, you know, really be putting that to other people, like, why is this the vision for yourself that you want to have, when difficulty is, you know, afoot. (laughs) So, 
um, yeah. So well, I, just, and I, I think COVID's just added another layer to that lens. And it saddens me when I ask people, are you where you want to be? Mm, yeah. And nine out of 10 times right away, it's visceral. And they're like, no. So, you know, for the listeners that are really wanting to dig deep into this, finding out your why and where you want to go is just the start of the roadmap. And like you said, we're both leaders, we're both coaches in, in, in different areas, but yet very much the same. We still have to do that inner work. And it leads, it leads nice into my next question. So all of my guests get the same second question, share with us what imperfections that you have brought to your heart centered leadership. Oh, the imperfections. Um, Yeah, well, I think for me, the imperfection is always around the control axes. (laughs) Because I love to have control, right? And so um, so the imperfections is being able, right, to, to see that and to relinquish that, you know, and, and even early in my career, particularly as a coach, right, because I love leading people and I, you know, in, in, you know, pre-prescribed places. So it's really being able to, um, yes, yeah, surrender that need and allow people to go where they need to go, you know, and, um, and often that's in the darkness, right? And so, you know, just kind of being able to be there with them without having a prescribed answer. Um, you know, it doesn't mean I don't have, you know, some best practices and et cetera, but just letting that control piece relax. And it's, you know what, it's such a good point And it's a mood point, because so many of us want to be in charge. And, and we want to help. And it's coming from a place of heart centeredness. It's that compassion, that empathy. It's not always verbally expressed or unpacked in a way that maybe we intend to. So sometimes it's that internal coaching that we have to do to have a different approach, because we're dealing with so many different types of people and personalities and behaviors, right? Yeah. And, you know, I can remember like years ago uh, with a mentor of mine and he used to always say this, you know, this statement um, to surrender or to, to, yeah, to, to, um, to resist is hell and to surrender is heaven, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've always, right. It's, it's that, that energy when we are attached to an outcome or attached to something that this is what is causing us so much difficult myself. But even as I think about, you know, my clients and the leaders that I work with, it's having this defined answer and being so attached that it creates our own little personal hell. Right. And so Mm -hmm. surrender to, you know, which, which doesn't mean we don't lead and it doesn't mean, you know, we don't exert our particular, you know, brand um, and brilliance on whatever, but it's, it's also allowing, you know, that beautiful feminine energy of allowing things to go where they need to go. Well, and I love that. And it, it, it leads nicely into my next question, because I know that you declare a belief that every organization needs strong leadership. So how have you viewed and coached this declaration over the past year with the pandemic and what have you witnessed or even learned yourself yeah um i mean really it's about the um 
It's about not being afraid of the difficult conversations, right? It's, it's, it's going willingly and bravely <laughs> into, you know, that space where I am prepared to connect at the humanistic level. And so for leaders, you know, especially with COVID, right? Cause everybody was running, like it was just such a intense time because we didn't know. And, you know, and I'm sure this is true for you as well. I mean, I've got clients that run, you know, um, you know, the, the infrastructures in cities and, you know, like, like needed to be able to keep everything going. And, you know, so, so the leaders were actually working probably 20 hours a day. Like they just never even stopped. Right. Um, and then their staff also was working really hard, but nobody was taking the time to just stop and pause and, you know, touch the, 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 the feelings, the emotions, the, the right, all of that kind of fear, um, let alone actually want to have those conversations with others. Well, it's interesting. That is how the podcast came to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first eight weeks of COVID and it was those discussions. What do I tell my people? What do I say? I don't know. I don't feel in charge. I don't feel like a leader. I, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And it was, it was that level of anxiety and panic and fear. And I kept saying over and over again, we're all imperfect. Yeah. Right. Where, where is your heart centered leadership qualities? Why can't you lean in and be vulnerable and release and drop the wall of resistance and say, I'm giving you the best of me at this time with everything that I have in this moment. And so it was this rinse on repeat. And I kept hearing myself and I thought, I think it's time to start another podcast because I hadn't had one five years previous. Yeah. And it ran it and it ran its course. And it was just kind of, you know, for lack of a, a bad cliche, it was just the aha moment. And I thought, we need to talk about this. And, you yes. know, in another month, we're, we're at one year, and it doesn't feel like that for me, I have to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. And the and the beauty of the conversations we've had on the show and the vulnerability and compassion and emotion, everything from laughing out loud to tears, to silence, to, like you said, pause, pause. Yeah. And I think, you know, I love that. And, and because I think it also hit, you asked kind of what my, one of my imperfections, and I talked a little bit about control because that really is where leaders were at then, right? It's that it's relinquishing control, not knowing, And, you know, one of the cultural biases that exists, you know, particularly for leadership, you know, it's never let them see a sweat, right? Like, right. It's always presenting that, that face of, you know, I've got this. Um, And so what a COVID reset all that. And I love that you're, you know, using those terms, right. It's about vulnerability. And so my process and what I would, you know, kind of would coach my, my leader clients to is something called permission to be human. You know, and it's like, like, it's, it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. And in fact, not only is it not okay, that is the leadership that is needed right now, because everyone is feeling out of control. And so to lead through that, that vulnerable share, 
you know, people then can get the sense of, oh, I'm not alone, <laughs> you know, wow, right? And, um, you know, and so that, that I think, you know, we talked earlier, like, that's one of the gifts of COVID, I think, is that, uh, right, more leaders have kind of gotten it, you know, and people like you, Deb, doing this great work, you know, around heart-centered leadership, you know, I, right 20 years ago I mean it just would not have resonated in the same way because the realities of why it's so important were just not present and now they are oh absolutely and you know when I did my research for the show I reached out to the fabulous executive coach and co-author of the book on heart-centered leadership and she wrote that And it was 2003 and everybody said to her, what are you doing? Like, there is no place for heart and centered and leadership and love. Like, what are you doing? Like, that is not how we were academically trained to be leaders. So she was so ahead of her time. And Susan was the first guest on the podcast. And she actually just reprinted and did a second running of that book in 2017. So how far ahead of the curve was she then? Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, I, I say to everyone that I've interviewed on the show, whether they be, it doesn't matter what kind of leader, consultant, trainer, coach, CEO, there's room for everyone. The world's a really big place and a lot of people are not doing well. And there needs to be more rising in behavior of the collaboration over competition. And that's one of the things Susan and I are continuing to work on with each other, because we're both in that space of heart-centered leadership, but leadership belongs to everybody. You don't need a title and a stature, and it doesn't matter. You could be you know, uh, a custodian or look at our frontline workers who we have utmost respect for through this last year and a bit and how much we need them and how vital we now open our eyes and recognize this. So I love that you alluded to the fact that it's really gave us time to pause and open our eyes and really see what's important. Mm -hmm. And it's been a repetitive kind of topic that's come up in conversation on the show. So it just reiterates to me yet again, talking to you that even in Eastern Canada, this is the, the precedence and what leaders are feeling. So globally separated by miles or kilometers, whichever way you want to measure it, but we're all sharing in that same space. Right. Well, and isn't it true, right? Like, I mean, it's like the human element. Here's my philosophy is, you know, the human element is just simply not going to be denied. And it doesn't matter what kind of package you put on it, you know, how much you're trying to control that. Uh, that we have these needs um, and, you know, they're around how we are relating to each other as humans, how we're seeing our own selves as human. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, COVID, I think, really gave everybody a run for their money in terms of whether they've done that work mm-hmm. or not. <laughs> and so, yeah, so loving to bring people to that pause permission to be human. Well, and it's interesting because that pause allowed the complacency that was hidden to rise to the top. Right. And and C-suite leaders finally had time to pause and look at everything. And that's been a breath of fresh air for them as well. So my last question for leadership is Mm -hmm. share with us from your intensive experiences, how you've seen firsthand how fear 
is really developed in the workplace and how it affects employees from both a physical but also a mental health perspective and then how it ripples out to affect the overall culture. Well, I I I do you know I think fear is the biggest um, inefficiency in organizations today, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, right that that conflict avoidance we are at epidemic levels, and so what happens is that you know I will not like a situation. So whether I'm a leader, whether I'm a frontline, you know, managers. I mean, regardless and, and regardless of the industry that we're in, that when I start to feel frustrated. Um, or irritated in my in my work, maybe it's with another person, maybe it's with a process, that what the cultural bias basically is, is just keep that to yourself, you know, and have a few people you might share that with. But, you know, it's not about having the conversations um, that can actually solve the problem, right? Like, it's not about going to the individual's that are able then to solve the problem. So if I had a frustration with you, Deb, if we work together, um, that the culture would tell me, don't actually have a direct conversation with Deb about this because she might get offended, she might get hurt, or you're not, you know, you might not be able to, you know, control, there's that word again, you know, what happens if you open up that can of worms? Mm -hmm. That's how, so that's fear, right? Like that is the fear of, I'm not going to be able to cope with whatever's going to happen next. And so we stop it, you know, and, or, or we escalate to the wrong people. Right. And, um, and it creates such uh, inefficiencies, both in terms of, you know, you think about the monetary, you know, you think about our business outcomes, right. Because now there are people aren't um, solving the problems that are going to create better, you know, performance or create better products. Um, uh, and in addition, it is very stressful to be holding on um, to frustration and irritation. That always turns to um, hopelessness and anger, or anger and hopelessness. I'm not sure, right? And and then then the experience becomes one that is uh, very negatively compromised, like our, like a person's experience of work. You know, and I heard this statistic. I don't know if you've heard this statistic. You probably have. You know, that um, uh, in the animal world, you know, if you take like just nature, that animals die, um, you know, kind of proportionately around the clock, you know, so unless there's like a plague or, you know, a famine or, or some kind of natural disaster, you know, um, you know, there's no more number of deer that die on, uh, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon than two o'clock in the morning, right? Um, except for humans, humans die guess what day of the week humans tend to die more than any other day of the week i'm gonna let you answer this because i'm i'm i'll tell you why in a minute i'll let you finish and then i'll tell you why yeah monday yeah and in particular monday morning why right because the entry point of going back into these environments where we've been stuffing it where we've let fear right is is, and you used the word earlier, it's visceral, right? Like, like we literally have this, it's not just emotional and mental, it's actually we embody, Mm -hmm. right? The fear itself, right? And so that's where, um, you know, there's just higher levels of um, health events on those days. Yeah. I I volunteer at hospice. Mm -hmm. And 
again, you don't know my story. So I come from the disability case management world. And the last, uh, the last straw that broke me was five executives were on short-term disability claims. They went to long-term disability claims and they all landed up at hospice Mm -hmm. and I held all of their hands. And it was like, my name is often said as one word, it's Deb Crow. And sometimes it's used as a verb. You need to Deb Crow this. (laughs) I love it. And uh, they said, you need, you got to fix this. And the commonality, and it's funny because I didn't think our interview was going to go this way. It's interesting where things go. They said to me, all five of them said the same two things. We did not speak our truth. And we put up with a toxic culture and made ourselves sick because out of work, they led a healthy life. So the work, the workload, co-workers, leadership, it led their body to a level of stress and dis-ease. And it broke my heart. Yeah. And I thought I need to get out of this generalist space, managing claims as a disability case manager and become a preventionist. And I thought, okay, that's how I'm going to Deb Crow it. (laughs) And coaching was the natural transition for me. Yeah. So it's really fun because when I meet and onboard new executives, they'll say, is the case manager going to show up? And I'm like, she might. <laughs> and, and you know, from this population, it's yeah. lonely at the top. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go. And unfortunately, you talk a lot about work-life integration, which I love because I don't believe in work-life balance. I think it's garbage because it's, uh, yes. it's, it's not a tangible reality. I know. Yeah. And they pay a price to get there. So when you instill some good principles and coaching and the integration of work and life, you can get to where you want to going back to the beginning of this conversation. You got to know why, like to me, success is what I call life by design Mm -hmm. and people laugh and they say, well, what do you mean by that? when I can put in my schedule at two o'clock that I'm going to go for a bike ride, or I might have a nap, or maybe I'm going to meditate. I'm going to put that self-care piece in there because it's important. And that doesn't mean I don't have a morning routine. So I love that we have such an alignment from a coaching perspective, but we're like that buffet of coaching and we both have two different menus. And I love saying that. I love saying that we are out collaborating as fellow professional Canadian executive coaches on the same buffet, but we have two beautiful different modalities of, of coming at it because that's been our leadership trajectory and our experience, like you wrote about so beautifully in your bio. We got to where we are. And I think our best skill, and correct me if you think I'm being presumptive here, I think our relatability back to self and being in that valley, I always say growth comes from the valley. It's our best asset. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, right? Because we can't help people move through their own darkness unless we are skilled at doing that ourselves. Well, it's like when I sit across from someone similar age to me, mid fifties, and they're losing their parent. I've lost both my parents. And they go, how can you come here? Right. 
And you just, you bring that agape love to a level that's immeasurable and you look them in the eye and say, I know exactly how you feel right now. Mm, You know, and we joke, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's bigger than that. You've engraved it on your heart and you bring it forward through servant leadership with heart-centered leadership qualities. Mm. It doesn't get any better than that. Isn't and you right. And so for me, you know, you talked about, you know, um, about fear and truth, you know, one of my, um, you know, driving kind of lines in the last two, two or three years is let's find a way to speak truth to fear, you know, because right fear is the big liar, like, and we buy it, um, that we can't, you know, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough, or I won't be able to handle this, right? And we know that's not true. The reality is that that's how anxiety propagates itself. It's by, right, putting into the future, you know, and, and, and worrying. And, um, and so when we are actually in the moment, we, uh, most of us cope just quite fine, right? So, but, but we have to choose those, those moments. And I would even go back, you know, when you were talking about those leaders, those five leaders, and isn't that the truth, right? Like the disability, you know, I, I would often, um, particularly when I was working, you know, in large organizations, like if I was running a workshop, I would, I would, ha- I would have everybody who I show of hands, who here um, has a team member Uh, that's off on disability right now, like on mental health disability, you know, and 50 to 60% of the hands are always raised, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so, but coming back to those five, right, it's, it's not just that they're putting up with it. My reframe is they're participating in it. Yeah. Right. And now this is tough, right? Because then we all have to look at what is our ownership to this? And this is how I think these cultures, you know, propagate is right. The fear tells us that we can't, so we don't. Um, And then we think we're putting up, but at any moment, especially at the leadership level, you know, at any moment we can actually make a different choice. Right. And we always have a choice. Right. And that's your work, right. Is, is, and my work as well. Right. And so what are these choices, Mm -hmm. you know, and the choices have to do with all of this stuff we've been talking about, you know, it's about pausing. It's about, you know, um, you know, honoring the humanistic piece. It's about connecting with others. It's the heart centered thing. Right. And once leaders see that, what, that's a choice, you know, um, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Right. Once they start actually, you know, then in in implementing some of the best practices, they start, they can start seeing that light at the end of the tunnel a little bit more. Absolutely. I'm going to switch to my, my rapid fab four. Yes. Four fun things, whatever's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. Oh my gosh. Well, I, uh, I have horses and I participate in a sport, um, you know, as, as a hobbyist, as a non-pro uh, in a sport called reining. So it's a Western horse discipline. Oh, I love it. I had a horse in my younger days and I know the joy and just freeness of riding. How fun. Yeah. Moving meditation at its finest. It is. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I'm a yoga teacher. I get that. Love I'm it. I'm a yoga teacher too. <laughs> I know. You know, this is such a serendipitous moment. Uh, second question. Who is a leader you look up to and why? Ooh, 
Ooh, ooh. Um, you know, I studied under a man um, called Will Schutz. And he wrote a book uh, years ago, I think that his book, this book came out in the late 60s, you know, uh, called Profound Simplicity. Mm. And he was really a, um, a pioneer of bringing the human, in fact, he also had another book called The Human Element, um, the human element back like into organizations. And so I thought, well, how brave is that? You know, this would have been like in, in the 70s and in through the 80s when, right, it just wasn't kind of part of the culture. So Will Schutz would be one. Nathaniel Brandon, I studied with him as well. And he um, is all about self-esteem. Right. And again, it's this piece. We can only be giving what we have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Third question. What leadership skill do you want to get better at? Oh, always about um, being re- relaxing on my need to control. Always. Yeah. Always allowing, allowing for people to do what they need to do. Yeah. It's beautiful. And my last question is, what is your hope for the future in leadership? My hope is that leaders take on their role, um, which I think is a singular role, so that they start to um, embrace that their one and only job is to be supporting and inspiring others to do their best work. So to be creating a space where people feel included, you know, where people feel they matter and where people can do that stuff that makes a difference. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's, we're both coming at that with two different, two different menus. And I love it. I love that. I love that analogy. I'm going to uh, ensure that we put all of your contact details below in the podcast episode description and this is why I do this podcast. I, I love meeting other leaders out in the world who are who are doing magnificent work. And I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Deb. I really have enjoyed my time here as well. And uh, it's always lovely to talk to a kindred spirit. Absolutely. Another like-minded individual. I get that. And fellow yogi at that. Right. Yeah. And another little side note is um, my mother grew up just uh, in Ridgetown, which is, I think, not, not too far from, it's where not you far are. from London. That's right. Yeah. So I am well, well familiar with that area of the world. Beautiful. Well, if you enjoyed our show today, we would love for you to give us a rating and a review. And I want to thank you for joining us today. This is Deb Crow. And welcome once again to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.